Hey everyone, welcome to the Influencer Economy. My name is Ryan Williams. Thank you so much for downloading or streaming episode number two with Shira Lazar. The Influencer Economy is a podcast where we'll speak with makers, builders, and creators. People who have launched their careers online in revolutionary ways. We're happy to welcome Shebra to the show as a second guest. She is the founder, producer, and host of the Emmy-nominated show, What's Trending, and an inspiration to many in the media and YouTube world. She's creatively and instinctively built What's Trending to serve over 2 million views a month on YouTube and over 20 million views per month across all their syndicated content platforms. We had so much to cover, I had to speak with her on two separate occasions. The first part jumps right into Shebra's inspiration for What's Trending and how a chance encounter with Norm MacDonald crystallized her vision as to where the industry was headed. The second part is where we dig into what's trending and how she runs and operates the business as a modern-day media entrepreneur. This episode is a great listen for anyone passionate about media. Thanks again for listening, and without further ado, she runs our. Yeah, I'd love to know when you felt like this was going to be a big thing and when a light bulb went off around the work you were doing. When the writer strike happened, this is when there was also like that light bulb uh, moment happened, is there was a writer strike and I wasn't necessarily covering it for anyone, but I was driving and there was a whole mob and I go, you know, this is interesting. Was it by Universal or it was, a studio? Uh, yeah, it was a studio. And I bring out my phone and who do I bump into? Just luck has it, Norm MacDonald. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I go, Norm, what, 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 yeah. what's going on? I, I want to just chat with you on my phone. He's like, what? Your phone? <laughs> and at the time, like, the iPhones running around. But like, it made no sense. You're like, your phone, wait, you're recording with your yeah. phone a yeah. video? Okay. Yeah, and it's going <laughs> to upload to the web. And you see, I have this app that does it. And like, at the time, it was like revolutionary. Yeah, it's cool. It was literally futuristic robot stuff. He probably know. thought you were crazy. No, he thought I was crazy. Yeah. But then I searched having more and more experiences like that that were really raw and cool and it, it got a side of celebrity and notable people that you weren't getting otherwise and I started showing that to people at news networks and I go there's something here this is a beat like one there's no budget for you just pay for a bit of my time I'll edit cut these up put a blog post like I want to be your vlogger so you're creating you're editing you're yeah one, one stop shop and yeah. I'm booking the celebrity like let me it and a lot of the the idea of it was sheer on the go. It was like this on the go, on the scene. And this was before a lot of reporters had their own cameras, like portable cameras or using their phones to capture. How'd you edit it? I don't know, iMovie or I don't even remember. Just... I mean, this is all, like predates all the yeah. software wasn't that accessible back then. Yeah, I think I was editing on I mean, iMovie. I also was using, you know, I've always used for a few years ScreenFlow, which captures the screen and then has an editing system in it as well, which is super easy. Like, you don't have to render, and when you're in the news environment, you just cut, 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 and then you post it. Yeah. Super quick. You're hacking your way through Yeah, this. I just I hacked my way through life. Uh, <laughs> and so w- once I started doing that, and then really what made it more official was that at the time when Ashton, it's before he hit a million Twitter followers. Oh, yeah. He did this thing called 24 Hours at Sundance. And at the time, I was working for a lot of websites in LA. I was a go-to host for a lot of these digital shows, web shows. I was also doing a lot of entertainment reporting. And at the time, he had brought someone in from TechCrunch to head up his content. And I had known her because I'd started getting into the Silicon Valley scene, going to TechCrunch 50. So I started bridging that gap. And I was hanging out with a lot of the startup and entrepreneurs, the Kevin Roses, Pete Cashmore's when Nashville was just starting. Um, David Karp when he just started Tumblr. It was this really interesting time. And so that's how that all connected. And she was working with Ashton and they created this thing called 24 Hours at Sundance. And they wanted to pit 
vlogger online personalities together with tech people and so they asked me to do it one year and I won it it was like an amazing race for at Sundance for tech online and you're competing with other yeah who, who, who are the other competitors I barely remember God, uh, another just, like vlogger Twitter celebrities at the yeah, time. Yeah. But then that, you know, they did a lot of PR around it and then it became like, well, I won the 24 hours of Sundance. Ashley so Kutcher named me a social media guru. Oh, man, that's and at huge. the time, like a few that's years massive. back, like social media, like YouTube star wasn't even around. So it was, it was the time of the social media yeah, expert. Yeah. And so that, you know, <laughs> with my knowledge of vlogging and interviewing people, it became a bit of a beat. And I pitched myself at the time to CBSnews.com. Um, and I was pitching myself to a lot of other net news networks. I go, this is a beat, like your politics or entertainment news. And, you know, I kind of sagged at that point out of super entertainment news and gossip. I just wasn't as happy doing that. I feel like I was talking about a lot of things I didn't really know about. <laughs> and I, I saw the future and I, the future was I was always going to be on the outside looking in. And I wanted to be the person, even if I was going to be talking with celebrities or about celebrity culture or popular culture, I wanted to be the inside of the person they went to because they trusted right. and was being a bit more thoughtful about it. Like I really didn't give a crap about who they're dating or if they're in rehab. I mean, rehab right. sucks. You're not racing to break some story and TV I want to actually be like changing the way storytelling is happening for this generation and also making them feel comfortable so they can be themselves and I don't know, breaking new grounds a bit. And so... Uh, you know, and the, I was so inspired by the start of culture and entrepreneurs. I just felt like what I was doing was so, I don't know, just throw away and superficial and meant nothing. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I kind of made a shift. And at the time also, uh, there was a company called LXTV, which was like a video version of Daily Candy. And they were a website which has since got acquired by NBC and they became a TV show. So I ended up getting hired there and that was a, a bit of a stint there that was TV and web and a lot of a bit of notoriety around that because I had two local NBC shows and uh -huh. it was like you know I think the the last era of traditional I, I saw that on your reel yeah and so that was a big it deal fun, at the time like doing cool oh my god it was amazing like wearing mo motion capture no equipment. oh that was real channel too I mean I had a, a whole bunch yeah. of traditional TV jobs uh -huh. but they're all gigs and that was the thing it was like I, I saw a life of gigs did you make good money doing that or yeah you did? I was making pretty good money yeah. yeah you make I mean you can make a thousand five thousand a day like and still Just, even that I mean yeah I mean, but then it was in the heyday of six-figure you know hosting gigs and they're still are they, they still are there but they're few and far between and a lot of them you know the industry is so shaky that execs are there, new ones come, then the whole, all the people they've hired leave. I don't know, I just saw my future as a bunch of gigs and it just meant nothing. And it just, I, start, I had many, I guess, existential moments. And I still was really inspired by all these amazing creators around me. And, you know, VidCon came up, which was the Comic-Con mm -hmm. of YouTube. And at the time I was, I had my cbsnews.com on the go and I was really doing what I loved doing, which was meeting celebrities, entrepreneurs, but I was covering it in a different way. I was covering it through the social media lens um, and and tech, which no one was really doing at the time because because traditional media wasn't covering their apps and their web series right. and their Twitter accounts. And I was, I was asking people to ask me questions. Like this is before everyone started doing that. Uh -huh. And so I was really enjoying what I was doing, um, but I wanted to create obviously like a format out of this. At the time at CBS News, so I was covering internet culture, digital trends, 
I was starting to interview YouTubers, like more viral video stars, like Antoine Dodson, Double Rainbow Man. Oh no, for way, me, viral video stars. And for me, it was those were the modern day human interest stories. Yeah, and it was before morning shows and talk shows I'm were sure covering that's them. That's fascinating. I felt it was. I mean, and so it's so, who, what was your ultimate? Distribution then for CBS News? CBSnews.com. I had my own blog and vlog. And so I saw this conference VidCon, so I emailed Hank Green. And I I was like, oh, I covered this beat for CBSnews.com. I would love to get involved somehow. I'm happy to give some promotion, but can I, like, maybe, can we work together? Maybe I can do interviews for you. Yeah. Anything like that. Because I was always, like, I, I didn't want to be an actress or comedian. I mean, I, my natural skill set, you know, to have the balls to do stand-up. Yeah, I used to do stand-up. Not necessarily it's me. Not, it's not fun. I'm a spaz. I could be comedic. I'm not right, like but that. It's, but it's, it's better in conversation. For, yeah, you know, anyway. But, so I said, can I do your interviews? They said yes. So I went to VidCon knowing a bit about the community. I mean, some people. But ultimately, I did not. Like, that was the first time I met Phil DeFranco and... Uh, a bunch, I mean, of the the mainstays. Uh, they were all early on YouTube, and you were there to cover them. Yeah. And so, just, so you created your own beat. So I created the beat, and then, and then is this I created point? the beat. Itself. Yeah, you were beatboxing. <laughs> Who were the competitors at this point? No, there was no one doing it, but also no one understood it. Like the so CBS they didn't even... appreciate it, or are they getting traffic from it? Sometimes, sometimes not. I mean, I think it did when it was a viral star, and those were moments for like, like wow. Antoine Dotson. There's something there because what would happen is everyone would view his video and they'd be like, "Who's that guy? I want to know more about that guy." And then I would cover the story behind the story, right? And I would go to the source because a lot of people were blogging about it and just posting the video, but no one was actually talking to the person behind the story. And for me, that was the interesting part. And now that's common. On like oh my god, it's Today totally, Show. Yeah, like, it's totally common. At the time, I remember. It, actually pitching them VidCon and then since then I bumped into a producer from there she's actually doing a documentary on the whole space for CNBC and I go oh remember when I I was pitching I was VidCon the first ever VidCon yeah. and you got and no one understood the importance or really cared they like basically threw away the idea I go, remember that and she goes yeah I do I'm like let's just Take a moment. To yeah, acknowledge. acknowledge that. <laughs> but um, so then after that, you know. But you remind me of remember the the man with the golden voice. Yeah. Like he was all over morning. Yeah, that was that was like, two years later. Yeah. And that was you know at the time that was a turning point because you're like okay, Became it's not the same anymore. Yeah. You know like I'm competing against Ellen in talk shows and Today totally. Show and Good Morning America to get these interviews and my whole thing was like well it's not. You know, you're, I know you're exclusive for TV, but we're online. But now online is just as important to them. Right. Because that's where they're getting their views, too. Yep. And so after that, you know, I, that's when what's trending kind of the format of what's trending came up because I never saw myself as just doing a blog and vlog. I saw a bigger format. Like, where's the show around these things? And so in October 2009, I came up with the first outline for what's trending. And originally, we were selling it with CBS News and after a year um, of trying to sell it, we finally got a brand to come on board. And in that year, though, my knowledge of the space also changed because while we were waiting for what's trending to get the green light, um, Damon Berger and I, my business partner, created a partners project because after seeing the, uh, the really the madness of VidCon and the following these kids were having, we're like, this is like the Beatles, like this is like a revolution, a movement. Who's, besides us covering this once a year at this big event, who's archiving these stories? Like, this is historic, what's happening. And so while we were waiting for what training to come to be, we started Partners Project. And for us, that was like the Inside the Actor Studio for YouTube Stars. Went through this project of Partners Project, 
we got to know everyone really well. And we, you know, I think that care in the space has come a long way right. and gone a long way for us because people, we've been around, even though we haven't been around listen as long as I, Justine, or Phil, or Dave Days, I mean, they were there, I think, two years before us, which we still were early on. Like it's and like- we also, it's more that I, I believe we, and um, I know we just supported the community and we wanted to tell those stories. It wasn't, it wasn't like we were doing it to exploit or because we thought it was cool. We were sincerely uh, passionate about it. And we ourselves weren't being accepted by traditional media. I, I mean, I was, and I was constantly trying to get the jobs at all the big networks or, and I just wasn't getting them. And for me, there was no choice. Like I really wanted to pursue this. I was like, well, I'm not going to live a life where I feel just disappointed and unfulfilled. Right. This can't be possible. Like, I know I have talents. But some people in LA that move here and they think they have to be part of this bigger system that they're here to be an actor, producer, director. Well, for me, at least this allowed me to... Well, also allowed me to practice my craft. So I'm like, I'm not going to wait for someone to hire me to practice what I love doing. Yeah. It's in me. So I need to express myself. It's like an artist. Like, before you commission your first painting, you're still doing art. Totally. And I feel like so many people, and less now, obviously... But at the time, and I still have friends who are like, oh, I want to do this. How do I do it? How do I get into it? I'm like, just start. Yeah. It's overwhelming or collaborate. That's the advice you give people. Just yeah. do it. Yeah, just just start doing it. And also get in the mode of collaboration and also learning from the best and helping those people. Yeah. Because you just thinking you're the best, you're doing this, and it's all about me, 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 me. It won't go a long way. And also just like try everything. Work with everyone. Um, dabbled. It's not about just making money. Like I've worked even now, I, I will make a chunk of money doing some things and not. And it's because I acknowledge if it's a cool project, if it's with cool people, if I feel like there's something worthwhile, something in the future. And so basically, you know, then what's trending finally launched in May of 2011. We were with CBSNews.com. It was like really the first broadcast quality show with really for the web audience. And it was much more. I think in terms of tone of voice, serious. If you look at my first promo <laughs> pictures, I'm wearing like blazers in my hair. I just totally... You're sitting behind a desk. No, you're never about the desk. At the time, you know, Al Jazeera was launching their interactive show. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, all these people were trying to, you know, some people were trying to get in the game. And meanwhile, since then, that show has come and gone. It's the stream. The stream, yeah. yeah. Oh my god, yeah. You remember? It was great. Listen, yeah. I'm friends with Jerrica Shang. That was a great show. But we yeah. were never, you know. And I think that was the beginning of realizing there's, and since then there's been so many shows coming to the fold, and it's just competition. Like, yeah. Not only will we wonder, and we have our eyes out because because you need to, but press will bring it up, and we just continue pushing through, working hard, keeping our heads to the ground, and our eyes on the prize. That was part one of the conversation with Shira. This chat was so good, we had to follow up and do a second version, a sequel, if you will. So please uh, stay tuned, and we'll start the second conversation with Shira right now. So we're back with Shira in the What's Trending office. She's hosting us again for my podcast. Yeah, who invited you here? Thanks for having me here. <laughs> She's a great host. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, so we wanted to pick up. The first interview was so great. Been thinking about it since then. We're doing a part two right now. And just to jump right back into it. A sequel. A sequel, a part two, if you will. <laughs> uh, I thought it was really fascinating when you said that you created your own beat back when you were working as a journalist and a reporter into the tech social media space and how that helped you find your, your voice and your passion around what you were interested in. I'd love for you to talk more about that and like 
creating a, a market or a place that didn't exist previously and how you did that? I always say, why try to fill a gap that is already filled? And, and like we see that time and time again in spaces that start getting populated industries where there's intrigue now and success. And people are like, why didn't I get into that? I should do that. And they just try to do what someone else is doing instead of really doing something authentic that is their passion. Some sort of weird instinctive interest in something. And it became a passion and almost... Uh, something they're obsessed about and they geeked out about. And so I always say, like, find the territory in real estate that hasn't been taken advantage of yet and hasn't grown yet. And then plant your flag and then grow. And in many ways, that's the hardest thing to do because a lot of people don't understand why, why those things are interesting or will have payoff because they haven't seen any sort of success in, in those models yet. And so finding your own beat, what does that mean? It's like finding that thing that makes you tick, that thing that you want to express and create and bring to people no matter what. And, and a lot of times people won't know they need it until you bring it to them. And then why did you decide to start your own company from CVS and actually be an owner versus working for someone well, else? I always looked at, I looked at a lot of talents and broadcasters or hosts and I saw a lot of these people getting these gigs that, and they would make good money and I was dealing with that too. I would go from making, you know, six figures, getting a job and then six months later a new regime would come in, new execs and then I'd go back to my independent contractor work where I was making a few hundred dollars a night and I was like, I saw the future and if anything, I'm young and obviously you get into your onto your path and you grow as you get older and you're more experienced but I just saw the path ahead and I'm like okay there's the Ryan Seacrest this that like who actually succeeds doing this like Carson Daly it's one, just like any industry it's one percent and I go but then there's the people like how do I continue doing what I'm doing so it's not just it's beyond like just me being a hot young 20 something which goes a long way you know that hustle and being yeah, cute energy and I'm like okay that's gonna be around for what until like 35 because like actually in hosting and broadcasting as you mature you get more credibility and you see a lot of some of the most successful people they actually peak 30 to 40s like this is getting into a bit of ages no, ageism no um, we're in LA but no like Maria Menounos like she's in her thir- I mean you could say some um, but for her she's like so like ridiculously skinny I mean, I'm getting into real with like, women, though. I feel like this is. <laughs> not, no, this, but these are things you start thinking about. This is an honest conversation. With, with, with women, there's a different. It seems like yeah, it's like, like well, you think about that. You're like, okay, obviously, you need to maintain that. Yeah. But I wanted to be looked at as more than that, and I looked at you know the Ariana Huffington, and she, all these leaders, like, and, the, and people that I, I looked at that are of an older age but still super respected, making making millions, making an impact in the industry. And I go, it's it's different now. Like, I don't want to be known to just be a talent and host and have a big gig and then just fall fall right back onto the ground and not have anything to lift me up. But I want to have ownership and create a legacy and build something beyond me. And it, it just was, I think, more in my blood. You know, some people would rather just be hired and it's easier. Trust me, it's so easy when I just got hired for a hosting gig. And I still do. Right. And it becomes like going over to someone's house for dinner versus making it yeah. yourself or running your own restaurant. <laughs> um, but at the same time, there's something very empowering, like beyond all the frustrations and challenges. Now, after running this for two years, like I, it's hard to imagine not having something and just being in someone else's world and working this hard. Yeah, what kind of advice do you give people that are like you eight years ago or ten years ago that are trying to get into this world? 
I think it's anything is hard. Like I, I always look at what we do. Like we're at the beginning. Like we're just scratching the surface at every point. And then some people might look at what we're doing from the outside and be like, "Wow!" Like who haven't started something themselves and be like, "How could? How do you do that? That's crazy." And I'm just like, "Wow! This is just the beginning." Like I always want more. It's not just want more like greedy. It's just that there, you know I do believe if you're building a company, you need to see that there's more out there. What's the point? Yeah. You need to like at every point be like, okay, I got here. It never feels like the end. It's always the beginning. And you need to embrace that journey, embrace the madness that comes with it and the uncertainty of it all. And so I would say, you know, be clear of what you want and realize, you know, it's not about stability. It's just about caring about something and and wanting to deliver it to a lot of people and grow it and you know, and it, it's not going to be necessarily cushy or anything. And you have to embrace it's not that safe. chaos. It's not, it's not safe. It's not safe. And you have to embrace the chaos. And But also trust that everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. I, I say that a lot to my co-founder, Damon, who came from definitely much more corporate background than I did. I was always an independent contractor. So for me, if anything, this is stable to me yeah. in a way. Because I don't need to be looking for new gigs all the time. And it's a home I could be in and, and grow in and blossom in and shine instead of always reaching out for opportunities all the time and and being like inquiring people of like oh do you have this gig and that gig and now I'll get other gigs and if anything it just it adds to to what I'm already doing instead of being the foundation of it which for me is important and so I would say you know be clear of what you want and realize you know it's not about stability it's just about caring about something and and wanting to deliver it to a lot of people and grow it. And, you know, and it, it's not going to be necessarily cushy or anything. And you have to embrace it's not that safe. chaos. It's not, it's not safe. It's not safe. And you have to embrace the chaos, and but also trust that everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. You're, like, giving the backstory. Because everyone thinks it's really this beautiful thing. You read WhatsApp sells for $16 billion to yeah. Facebook. Yeah. And everyone's thinking, God, I wish I was those two guys. And they had they had stories about that guy going from food stamps yeah. to billionaire. And he was turned so, down by Facebook. Turned down by Twitter. He tried didn't to work, he just get bought by Facebook? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he tried to work at both those places. He tweeted four years ago. Yeah. Oh, I met with Facebook today. They didn't want to hire me. I, I mean, I think Twitter every... Today. They rejected me. Every entrepreneurial story has that thread yeah. of being put down and having to bring yourself back up. Um, and be, and because the fact is like you can't expect other people to build and create your vision for the future. It's like it's you have it. If you are building something and you believe it's something valuable. Um, as much as someone could support you and an investor could be like, "Yeah, I, oh, I think your idea is great." Mm-hmm. I don't care if Mark Cuban invests in you. It still comes down to you. I mean, that's why we see so many people getting rounds of financing and like doesn't matter. It's great. Okay, for the first maybe day or month where you have all those hires, and then in the end it comes back to you and like what your vision is and your passion and where it lies and execution of that. So you can't forget that, and, and that's what sucks. Sometimes it does suck. You're like, why do I have to be my own cheerleader? Like sometimes yeah, like, during the day, sometimes it's lonely. Sometimes I'll be like, I just need a hug right now. <laughs> Like, I just want... That's why you have Damon. Yeah. Well, no, but he needs a hug, too. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you can't... You know, you just want a hug from someone outside of this cycle. This, you know, because you're, you know, you're you're running after people. You're dealing with your team. I mean, listen, I'm, I have a lot of great gratitude. And that's also, I would say, 
as a piece of advice. It's like, you know, keep on working hard. And if you have a bad day, like realize tomorrow's a new day. And also gratitude is really important in all this process. Like you always think big and everyone's like, you always look around you and see people that are doing better than you or you wish you were there too. But then you, you have to like step back and look at what you have and what you've built and realize like it's something special. How much do you learn from the guests you have on? Oh, constantly. Like, I mean, that's what's so cool about it. It's like my, part of my job is meeting people, like even meeting you and hanging out with you. I got like how many ideas in the time that we were together. Uh, so you just get to feed off, feed off of energy. Of <laughs> yeah, it's energy, things. which then opens up probably yeah. some sort of delayed reaction in my brain that was sitting there. Yeah. <laughs> like some so sort you of have to be around new people cell and... that wasn't being... <laughs> the, you know, the Red Bull didn't access. Yeah, like some sort of spark <laughs> in my brain that was a bit dead and that somehow through my communication with you, it opened up... It was there again. The, the synapse. That in my mind, yeah, the synapse. I was like some sort of cell... Anyway. What's it like, though, having something that you built and you're passionate about as your... I think it's super cool. I mean, I mean, I think it's super cool. Obviously, there's... Trust me, there's so many moments that are very humbling. Like, you know, um, there's moments that some people don't get, like, understand or have never seen it, and you have to explain them what you do, and they still don't get it. And then you're like, I swear it's legit. It, it and in your head, but you have yeah. to get over your own ego right. and just be like, no, it's okay. I Like, I'm excited to tell you what, I, what we do even if they haven't heard of it. I do try to give myself time to be alone and to think by myself because, you know, that's where, you know, great ideas happen too. But then I balance it out with constantly meeting new people. Like part of my job is meeting new people all the time. And through that, well, some of those people I might have direct opportunities to do right away. A lot of times it's just nurturing relationships and being able to connect the dots later on. Like play in a longer game. Yeah. Versus a quick thing. Exactly. Like for me, it's not always about the quick hit with yes, meeting people. I totally agree. And I think because people feel that way, they respect and value the relationship. And it doesn't need to be like a huge friendship. It could be just acquaintances. But there's a sense of a cool dynamic. And they're like, yeah, you're cool. Like it wasn't like you were jumping on me for who do you know? What do you know? Yeah. What can we do together? It was just we had an interesting conversation. There was... A connection of cool energy and like you're doing interesting things maybe something will hit right away totally. maybe something won't it won't stop me from getting your info or friending you if we do something quickly yeah and, and sometimes it'll be like oh you know like I actually have an idea and you could see the hesitance you have to be very aware of that other person I think interviewing people for a living I'm very aware of the, those types of energies and hesitancies when people are hesitating on By the body language on moving forward on certain things or following through with the uh with connecting or communicating after the fact and you're like it's okay like for me I always say like I'll see you again like our paths will cross like you have to also trust that so many people are like why did we exchange info yeah. oh crap yeah and sometimes you exchange info and that person never responds it doesn't matter it's not personal yeah but like just, you have to just be like okay like confident and yeah like it'll happen but at the same time you have to know when you know it's okay to to get, get someone's email or get their number or get their assistance information just in case you ever want to reach out mm -hmm. I think in LA especially people like the quick deal yeah and then it burns you out on well, them because they want something right away it's about leaving an impact from a first impression whatever that may be and that could be something completely inappropriate they're like wow I remember you you were the girl that did that 
Because you do you have an interesting job where you put together these bigger events at these huge trade shows. Yeah. Like, is it worth really with, pushing and ruining yeah. a relationship based on like, oh, crap, I need that one interview, like one deal right now. And then that person disrespects you. Like, typically, you as you get to know someone, you realize like they were put in a crappy position. It, it, it had to do with them. Maybe it didn't. So how do you reconcile Whatever. if someone does turn something down? Because you're like, it happens all the time. you say one interview is not going to make it. You have to realize, like, that publicist or that celebrity that might have other stuff in the long run and, like, maybe something will work out in the future. It's not worth ruining that relationship based on your ego and getting pissed off with them and saying, like, fuck you. Right. Like, for me, at least. Like, some people deal with that differently because what goes around comes around and a million bucks. That celebrity and that PR person will come around again and be like, you were so nice to deal with and so sorry it didn't work out in the past. Like, they'll finally see maybe the value in what you're doing and they'll re- they'll, they'll remember how easy you were and nice considering the circumstances and that goes a long way right that's how I've always that's worked that's cool that's not a, everyone works that way but you're also on the inverse reverse side of things because you deal with YouTubers that aren't that big well my job is to but be the good cop like, in general so what? I like being the good cop you are in general like I don't care to like fight with people like I'm not gonna force you you big ideas you in put the end if you force someone together. and they don't want to do it or if they, then you force them they kind of do they're not going to do it well anyway yeah like if you get get a talent by forcing them in the PR and they're pissed how, how is that going to be good for you in the anyway right you're not it's you're not, not going to get what you want out of it they're not going to get what they want out of it you just have to call it a day yeah and know when to call it a day yeah you have to know and have that judgment and some people don't some people don't have so that judgment so when you're interviewing people how is it you're always reading body language I read body language a lot like and just, I could see in your eyes hesitance in body language you know just there's it doesn't take cues that, you that someone on. that it's, it's not like rocket science. No, but it's funny because you're talking to people all the time on camera. So there's... Yeah, but you could pick up those cues on camera and then off camera too, just in general. I mean, off camera sometimes is a bit harder if there's someone that is a bit manipulative themselves and they're trying to throw their game on you, uh-huh. which happens, you know? <laughs> like I'm friends with Neil Strauss and I'm friends with all those guys that wrote the game. Like I know when yeah. people are trying to play mind games and... They do that by being, you know, putting you down maybe a bit or constantly asking you things that you, that you like, they know you can't answer. Like, it's like a, there's a negative vibe. It's your show, right? You're answering. Well, no, I'm saying off camera. Off camera, okay. So I understand that. And also on camera, I've had people that are, like, you would see they're playing with me. And I'm like, and most, sometimes you could control that and sometimes you can't. But most people have an agenda if they're on your show, right? They want to promote something or they're part of something cool. Yeah, they but it's also, about it. it's about promoting. Yeah, and you're trying to pull out just, you, you're trying to get them to a place where people watching if they're fans and they've seen a lot of interviews or not are like wow he was you know he or she was very comfortable there was an energy there that I haven't seen otherwise and because of that they actually spoke about some interesting things that I never saw them speak about or maybe we create a fun moment like a viral moment and it's fun and all that but typically specifically in my interviews it's more that you know I saw them in in a way that I haven't seen them before. And you brought that out. And that was just through comfort. Like how was it interviewing Mark Cuban and Shaq? Well, Mark, I know well. So it's more just like interviewing. And he's such a good talker. So it's not like he's a huge challenge. Uh, but I think because he does know me, he, he trusts me that I'm not going to try to make him look bad. Like my job isn't necessarily make people look bad. Like obviously I'm representing viewers. So if there's a question they want me to ask... I don't want to be that person of like, oh, it's so obvious that people wanted to know that and you just avoided it because you're scared. Mm-hmm. And that sometimes happens. But for me, it's like if you approach an interview in a situation 
wanting the goal wanting to make them shine and look at their best they'll actually be more vulnerable and more open to showing sides that they haven't shown and it's not being at their worst necessarily because I hate looking at that like yeah. creating a negative filter but it's about showing parts of them that are more layered Right. Than they normally You're should. You're setting themselves up to like look good and succeed. And yeah, because I think journalism and all that has made it so that interviews are you're, you're meant to be such a skeptic, mm-hmm. even though there's no skepticism to be had. Right. It's like really, and that's why people make fun of journalists sometimes because you're like, dude, you're not you're not interviewing. This isn't Watergate. Like, yeah. <laughs> you're not Richard Nixon here. Exactly. Right? And some situations need that. Right. And that's where it really great journalism's journalists come into play and. Vice has done great stuff with that. Oh, yeah. In the war-torn countries and going undercover like that's, that's and all mean, that. That's meaningful. Yeah, there's meaningful and there's... Over, yeah, exactly. And, and some things we don't need to be life-changing. We just... It's about someone being able to look back for me at that interview and be like, wow, that was like a moment in time. Obviously, this is like looking very deeply into some of these things. Well, like how do you research yeah. someone? Like if you interview Tony Shea... Tony Shea is also one that I've known for a while. Do so you know these people well? You have a report. So yeah, that's like for me fun. Like I actually feel like, oh my God, I don't need to do that as much research because I look at it as like, I want to do a ton of research and I want to bring people a conversation that they'll value. It's not just redundant and stuff they've already heard. However, there's something to be said about being part of a conversation like it was at a dinner table, mm-hmm. right? Like, and so... A bit of that is research and context, but a bit of that is my own curiosity. And sometimes curiosity and that uh, natural wanting to know brings out a lot in the person you're interviewing. And so you add So it's a balance own, of like yeah. not being ignorant to the subject, but being naturally curious, not knowing too much. And what about your own energy? Because what's... It's about, you know, and that's hard too, because sometimes, of... sometimes I'm in the moment, I'm like, oh, I'm on, and like, I'm just so in the moment, and that's the ultimate. You want to be, it's like yoga, like there's a zen to it. Mm-hmm. And I say sometimes when I'm shooting, I'm at, I have my most zen at that point. Whereas usually in person, I'm just like erratic and crazy. And but you were saying that last time that you, like when the cameras turn on, you, like, light yeah, because there's off. nothing else I can think of. But then, you know, sometimes as you're continuing and life happens and you're running a company and like, I'm, I try not to produce myself because in the end, I'm also the producer. Something about the sound bites and thinking, how are they going to edit this? Or if there's a mess up, this, that, like I'm thinking about all that. And I try to get myself out of that because in the end, it's just, I'm supposed to have a great conversation. If I was having coffee with you and getting to know you, I wouldn't hopefully not be thinking about all that stuff. No. And 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 hopefully the audience or viewers are kind of you know they're taking part in a special moment intimate conversation. And and those are the the most fun interviews. What's the most fun thing you remember doing recently interviewing someone? I guess I mean, you know, some of these events are great. You know, like the Shacks and the Mark Cubans at CES. I'm trying to think. I mean, last year, uh, definitely highlight was Joan Rivers at Internet Week New York. That's amazing. Yeah, and that was cool because it wasn't um, like a 10-minute chat. It was like 30 minutes. And we really got to dive deep into different things and take questions live. And it felt like a really, like that, I'll look back on that. Not everything is like that this day and age because things are quick, it's live, yeah. it's fun, it's crazy, it's, there's games. It's not going to be this like life-changing moment with everyone. Uh, but hopefully you connect in that, even if it's a five-minute time, and then you say, okay, this is, not, this is the beginning yeah. of, of a relationship that will continue as I continue what's trending and build other shows. 
and I see maybe like events like Will I Am is actually someone interesting. Like I've interviewed multiple times, and I, the first time I interviewed him, you know, he's definitely he's a very talkative person. He, he goes into different ideas one into the next and some of them make sense some of them don't he's very thoughtful mm-hmm. about everything thinks big uh and now i talk to him and like i feel like i can push a bit more and just be like what did you mean by that like mm-hmm. it's not like he's had conversations with me in the past and and it's been someone what's trending it's been some on his channel for the launch of his album so there's a trust there and because of that you can have a, a more interesting conversation and it's not just pluggy pluggy this it's actually talking about things you would talk about when the cameras aren't rolling. What's the typical, tra- what's trending interview like? I mean, it used to be a bit longer. We had, you know, an hour show and then we went shorter to like a live show that is 30 minutes. And we had different sections of that 30 minute show. And now actually we're going back to more live events around s- specific personalities, which actually does let me dive a bit deeper and ask more questions instead of saying, okay, this is your segment and then we'll wrap up to get to this segment, yeah. this, that, you know, and we'll always have some sort of fun game sometimes or like explain your tweets. And those are things that we can cut after and share it with their fans. But doing these specials around talent allows us to kind of get to know them and really ask the fan questions that we didn't get to ask in the past where we get, you know, all these fan questions and engagement we wouldn't be able to get to all of them because it was a 10 minute segment like who would you do one of those with well these are youtube stars like superwoman who's this big canadian youtube star breakout star who has so over a million with yeah it was like superwoman live special events that's cool we invite people as guests in studio because what we found as we grew what's trending unlike traditional broadcast where we understand our generation talk shows hey and welcome to the show first we have this person then we have that person then we are we're gonna take a look outside into the blah 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 man on the street yeah the, this generation i'm like is like come on get to, they're there for for either the host the talent obviously hosting or they're there to see a specific talent promoting it mm-hmm. that was like you know bernie burns rooster teeth you know i'm on what's trending today come and join me in the chat room and then he's only at the last five minutes yeah like, that's not being true to your audience. And that's why I think people kind of get annoyed of traditional TV because they're like, ugh, just sit through all this crap. Like, it's not crap maybe to some people, but for them, they're just there for that talent. So we're like, we're doing the web. Why aren't we just creating those events around these people and be a place where... That's smart. The value proposition for these stars is that they wouldn't necessarily be able to do this on their channel. They don't have a studio. We make them feel like stars and they interact with their audience. We do, you know, we invite people in person. So if they want to do a meetup, they can use this as a place for a meetup mm-hmm. like Janoskians these big Australian YouTubers are coming in next week and uh, you know we're gonna do a whole special live event we have people already that RSVP'd for the audience and it's all about them you know instead of it being so other things like cool. uh, you know their audience and people that tune in know right away we start the show and it's not like a 10 minute tease before them with all this other junk and noise like for this audience you need to get right into it and how do you promote the live aspect of it? Well, we try to also because we're doing more specials, it allows us not to just promote it the day before. We book them, you know, a week or a few weeks out so now. Drive, drive. And so a week before the live event, we announce it. We set up the live event on our channel. We, you know, invite people to RSVP for in-studio if you're in L.A. And then week of, we start... You know, I would say we're going to probably do this on Sunday. We start getting, asking for questions. And then I remind the talent. Sometimes the talent will promote it a week out. And sometimes, depending on who they are, maybe the day before, which is fine. Because the more the closer to the actual event, the better. 
and they'll promote it the day before, the morning of, then it happens. And then depending, you know, on the viewership live, we might keep it live as a full thing, which could be 30 to 45 minutes. Or typically we'll cut it up also. If there's, you know, a smaller version of that, then we'll, we'll syndicate to all our other partners as well. And how do you get the views in the end with the on-demand stuff? On-demand... Typically, on demand, I mean, is where it's at in terms of viewership. Anyone can tell you that. It's I mean, unless you're a Red Bull jump. Yeah. Like, even YouTube you're, Music Awards, which is not like that was, like, the that, best case study to me. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, duh, of course. It's like, wow, views are continuing to soar as the, the clips live yeah. on demand. You're like, yeah. of course. A month later, the views are higher. <laughs> <laughs> wow, really? Your math works. Can you believe that? I'm like, so, you know, obviously, on demand is where the viewership is, building out your archive. And so, obviously, you know, we promote it afterwards in case you missed it. We give it to the talent saying, you know, please share. Because only a, only a percentage, a small percentage can join and watch live, obviously. Yeah. So, typically, that increases the viewership. And then we syndicate to iHeartRadio and USA Today, depending on the talent and how appropriate it is to their audience. Daily Motion Now. Okay. You know, Virgin America, all that type of stuff. Are you Virgin America flights? Yeah. Oh, cool. We do seat back and then... We also uh, are part of Channel 11. So you're like multi-platform. Yeah. YouTube is like the home. Yeah. But you're all over. Yeah. We try to, we're trying to branch out our media presence. I actually used What's Trending as research for my interview with Bernie. Oh, great. You so then it. we become a research platform this, too. It is awesome video. It was a video with Bernie, Kevin Smith. Oh, yeah. Uh, Lisa Kudrow. That was cool. That was a cool. It was event. a great. I forum. wish I could do was that, that type of event all the time. I mean, that cost money too. It was a perfect storm, but it was at night. It was dark. It just, no, I mean, it was just a fun event. It felt I, very like yeah. sophisticated and like. No, I mean that was we did that with New Tech. They sponsored it. They they provide our TriCaster. So I mean that was organized over months. Uh, it was put together PR, all that. But I mean, if we could do that every week. We had the resources yeah, once again. Yeah. That'd be amazing, or once a month. But but it was cool because it was a he, Bernie was like the smart guy at the table. All yeah, older and it's funny figures. because that happened like last minute. You know, we had Kevin Smith. It started with Kevin Smith. We wanted more, you know, a, a, a no-name traditional star, and Kevin fits the bill on either side. Mm-hmm. And then Lisa Kudrow, because of her work with her show. Yeah, her internet show. That yeah, her internet that went to they, TV yeah. on Showtime. And then Bernie happened to be in, was going to be in town, and I go, I really feel like it was going to be the two of them. Oh, and then Ray William Johnson was supposed to be on that one. No way. <laughs> and then last minute, because he loves loves Kevin Smith. Yeah. Last minute, he had some other stuff happen, and so we're like, "Ugh, we really want a, we don't have someone that really represents core YouTube native digital." And luckily, Bernie stepped in. He was amazing. He's so thoughtful. He's not just a personality. He actually like lends an incredible uh, opinion and voice to that whole conversation. Yes. I think he's a great representative of this community um, because I, he, it, it, he proves that it's like not about just being a mindless, you know, a lot of people are like, mindless vlogger. Oh, it's so inane what they all talk about. It's so, it's like tweeny. It's this teeny bopper, basically a tiger beat. Like he represents yeah. someone who is a personality. I, mean, but I think there's a lot of those. There's the Zay Franks, Filter Franco's where they're thoughtful. These people are smart. And they're media companies. Yeah. They're not just making a vlog with the... And Bernie's yeah. one, I'm like, wow, when are you going to get acquired? Like, you've been doing they're this for awesome. so long. And then they're taking outside money. I mean, yeah, Bernie's... Who else is... Well, I'll let you go. I know you have to... No, I mean... Too, I'm, like, who else do you see? Like, the Phils, the... the I mean, Bernie's, I look at the people that have been the really... The company people yeah, in the building. People that have been really smart about this, who I look up to constantly, 
are the Phil DeFranco's, you know, it's source fed. Zay Frank is just a pioneer. Michelle Fawn has done amazing things. Smosh, Bernie, Chris Hardwick, Nerdist. Mm-hmm. And then there's someone like, you know, a Grace Helbig. Now she has Camp Dakota. She'll be, she is going to be a breakout star of this community. And a lot of people feel that way. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, there, there, there are people there. And there are people that are doing amazingly and killing it on YouTube and that won't necessarily care to make that jump into something bigger. Mm-hmm. And where do you guys see yourselves like in this world? Because, I, I mean, having you on Virgin for your show is amazing. Like, well, just, you know, it's just a, a part. Like, it's a, a tentacle. I say it's a tentacle. It's a tentacle. You know, it's like, the yeah, I mean, any sort of media brand, if you're going to start something from scratch... You need to think about everywhere you would want to be in line with. And so why can't we create spontaneous, serendipitous encounters with our brand where, pe- like, surprise people Whoa. in places the that they won't... Am- is that the first time you said yeah. that? Yeah. Surprise <laughs> people in ways they, they uh, can't imagine. And in that way, they be, you become a part of their life more and more. And I think those encounters, uh, if they are authentic and cool and real, they don't feel fake and in your face and annoying, um, does create, you know, a lot of interesting connections with an audience and a community and hopefully loyalty. And so, and like, I want people to be surprised when they see us everywhere. Like, I don't, I've never looked at what's trending as like a mom and pop shop. I always looked at it as a bigger media brand. Like I'd be working somewhere else, maybe a huge company or a startup that has big visions and gets acquired if I wasn't here so it's like why can't I create something like that so yeah where else can we be that's relevant that makes sense for our brands and our audience that doesn't feel lame or sell outy you know sell outy that's a word that's a great word uh, <laughs> write that one down <laughs> and so that involves you know we're at Outcast Network's gas station TV people will be like wow I saw you at Michelle oh, gas station oh, like even like Prank versus prank. What was so cool is like when people like them and their huge YouTube channel and known in the community, they go, yeah, saw what's trending Shira on our Shell gas station talking about YouTube, like moving on up. Like the fact that we're representing community in places that are sometimes like random make sense and are in your face and it's marketing for us, but it's also marketing for the community. Mm-hmm. The more legitimate we become, the more legitimate the creators we cover become. Right. It's, it not all, a, it's not a zero-sum game. No, exactly. It's like not a domino so effect. Wins everyone wins. Exactly. There's and so, you know, how is, is there a TV component? Yeah. Is there, a, like, you know, a, a, an in-store component? Could we be curating, you know, hot lines from YouTubers within a Target? Like mm-hmm. the What's Trending area where we, every six months, choose five YouTubers who have amazing merchandise to feature and showcase. Could we become curators of that for stores? I don't know. Like, I think outside the box about what does What's Trending mean and and how can we have a presence everywhere I think is cool? That's cool. That's inspiring. I think. I, I hope, hope so. so. I hope everyone thinks that. Out. No, I know. I believe. I, I just I think you're, you're big. Home, you're like low key about. Your, no, I just think big, and vision. I just think big, and I I think you know you have to have crazy ideas because no one else is going to have them for you, and that's how the, even the small steps happen. But if you, you say you these think big, big things, you're very pragmatic about how you explain. Them. Yeah. Oh, really? You're not like you're very oh, yeah. much like a realist. I have a bit of realism, yeah. Because I do see actually the steps. Like, for me, I'm always like, actually, I do see the steps of how that could happen. Like, I know this company's trying to get into YouTube, this, that. Like, you have to be practical with yourself, but also think big. Once again, that is a a balancing act. But so can we be, you know, we're on iHeartRadio too now. Like, 
what are all the spokes we could have that make up a next generation media company? But we still have a connection and foundation to our community within digital. And that's our home base. And then, then we have like the uh, second home attached to the main house and like the amazing tree house and then the like house. yeah the pool house second home that was my you have second home right this is where like i'm you're, getting into like tired again you're bawling you're should bawling. i do a succinct way of saying that did you say like what like what i just said i was like that made sense to me how do we have different spokes and i didn't even realize that you've made a second home reference i think that no works. you're like the pool house that works let's just no work. how do you have a foundation that is committed to you in a community that's loyal to you and engaging there and then build off that. You don't, you can't expect all those other things to be the foundation because that's not where you're engaging and having real conversations with people. But those are all places that an audience outside of that core community will encounter you and then hopefully join forces with you. That's cool. Yeah. That's an awesome way to end. Thank you so much. Well, for thank you so me. much. I appreciate it. I appreciate you bringing talking about this stuff. out all of these stories and random thoughts. Yeah, this and is you great. see, you're a great interviewer. Thank you. I'm learning. It's just about a conversation. It's all about chatting and, and, and curiosity and keeping it real. And like, hashtag I have my, keep it real. I had my notes earlier. And I was yeah, like, sometimes you need to get down. out of that. Like notes are only good when if you have a quote and you're like, can you explain why you said that? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, hardcore. Once again, we're not in like Afghanistan totally. right now. It's nothing like life. It's, this is a big conversation, but there's well, like life interviewers and journalists tend to take themselves a bit too seriously. Yeah. And that's where they've been getting crap. At the same time, they need to take their job seriously because when they don't, then that's when shit hits the fan and people make mistakes. So, Well, I had my notes and I'm like, I need to ask her this. And then I try to like crowbar it in and I was like, relax. Just yeah, and in the end, some of the best interview, interviewers are just conversationalists, and they're just interested in things instead of trying to be interesting themselves. So yeah. I'll leave you with that. Deep thoughts. I'm not that interesting. So thank you, <laughs> Shira, very much. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. That was our second episode with Shira Lazar. She was an awesome guest. Excited to have her on after Bernie Burns was the first interview. We'll be doing these weekly from now on, so thank you again for streaming please feel free to share on twitter and facebook and email and snail mail and any mail that exists in 2014 we would appreciate it even pony express we'll take at this point um but yeah we're really fired up to get these going out weekly from now on and want to thank everyone for the support influencereconomy.com is our website at ryan j will is my twitter heading over to duke zebras right now for some chicken in the pot